risen Christ, be known to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends in Christ, happy Easter. With hearts stirred by the witness of the resurrection, we shout, or sigh, or sing, or say, or simply smile, hallelujah. Jesus, Easter joy continues with us in all our worship and prayer and praise this entire week and throughout the 50 days of this season as we hear and recite and remember the appearances of the risen Christ, the risen, living Jesus Christ to his dearly beloved. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. I have so very little to add to what we hear and proclaim together in this our resurrection faith. So I'll keep it short, or relatively short. <laughs> Instead, let the words of the ages ring in our ears, pulsate in our hearts. Let the vivid testimony of these first followers of Jesus accumulate, as it did for them, in the hours and days following that morning of the first day of the week, person by person, group by group, crying out, I have seen the Lord. Were not our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us on the road? The Lord has really, truly been raised. Each testimony said with awe and wonder and joy, Jesus is risen, Christ is risen, gathering energy and power with each new proclamation until even the Thomases and the Peters join the mustering community of faith and hope with their own declarations, my Lord and my God, and Lord, you know me. You know I love you. And together, voices raised aloud with the conviction that has grown in their midst until it reaches the point when they accept and embrace the truth they now proclaim, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let the cry arise. Let the truth be known. Jesus, the lover of humankind, who was killed, has arisen, is alive, has appeared to his disciples, and goes before us. Up with your hearts. It's so easy for all of us, any of us, to become dull in our senses and in our hearts. That heart that place the ancients located in our bodies as the seat and source of all our expectations and yearnings and motivations from whence full intelligence and true wisdom springs. How easily we become dulled in heart by the routines of our surroundings, the persistence of the cultures and systems we inhabit, and the inheritance of our expectations. A lame man from birth waits at the beautiful gate of the temple, trained by years of begging to seek quick looks of pity and drops of coins, to not see even when looking, to not be seen even when looked at. Peter's and John's first act in this encounter is to open their own eyes and hearts, to look intently at the man, and to invite 
even command the man to look at him. The man awoke from his routines. He fixed his attention on them. Now, he paid attention with his habitual expectation of receiving a bit of charity, perhaps toxic charity. And then the surprise comes. I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Dare we hope to have our expectations violated? Dare we consider the possibility? Dare we open ourselves to the disruption of wonder, awe, amazement, surprise, joy? Dare we pray to meet the risen Christ, really? Notice, brothers and sisters, where people are when Jesus meets them. Not in the temple, not at the gates of the city, not at the seat called the pavement. Note, just as in John, in Luke, Jesus unlocks and unbinds the mystery, the power, the symbolic and ritual location of divine right and guarantee of these places, and leaves them behind. The holy, the power, is no longer bound to one place. Even the tomb cannot hold him. He is not here. He is risen. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as those to worship him. And so the disciples and followers of Jesus meet the risen Jesus on the move, on the path from the tomb of his expected dead presence back to the city, on the back road from the city to a small village, huddled in broken and uncertain fellowship in a safe room, back in the countryside, gone fishing. Just so, in the continuing accounts of the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles find themselves constantly on the move, trying to follow and keep up with the Holy Spirit on the move who is going before the apostles and the fledgling church, opening hearts and minds and ears and eyes long before they arrive on the scene, in the chariots of foreigners, in the homes of Gentiles, on the road to Damascus. It is as it has always been, and yet more so. Jesus meets us and goes before us to meet people in all places, the marketplace, the streets and highways, the households, the wells and gardening places and gathering places, places considered sacred or profane. It's not just in this holy meal that we meet the risen Lord. It will be in those places where we find our hearts strangely stirred, in the power of conversation, in witness others offer and that we offer in the meal shared and blessed in God's holy name. We only need to pay attention. Jesus meets these two sojourners on the road as they're wrapped up in their conversation about all the events of the days of their time in Jerusalem, that time that went so horribly awry. Visitors to Jesus at a time of Passover that had become an accumulation 
of religious ritual and political identity. Visitors who were also followers of Jesus. Lives and hopes dashed by cruel powers that killed their beloved. And now, the continuation of strange events that they're attempting to understand together. Many of us last week found Holy Week a bit strange to enter on the journey that's the treasured religious ritual process for us in the face of cruel powers that killed Christians in Egypt, dropped the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan, raised again the threat of nuclear war crossing the North Pacific. But really, not strange at all. For this is the world in which the Savior has trod. And this is the world in which the risen Christ walked. Jesus stops and asks the sojourners what words they're exchanging. Just this question alone puts the sojourners deeply in touch with their sorrow. It stops them in their tracks and they stand fixed in place. As they journey on together, Jesus asks for more of the story and they reveal how the recent events have startled them, in essence shaken them out of their fixed stance and sorrow, but they don't know what to do with that yet. So then Jesus continues to shake them loose a bit more from their fixed sorrows of their hearts and helps them open their eyes to all of the promises of Scripture from the beginning of time, to the joy of hearing the promises and the proclamation of their fulfillment here and now, to the pleasure of his company. The sojourners listen with eagerness and find their yearning reawakened and satisfied. Now, yes, in moments of emptiness and of dullness of heart and sense, Christ is also present. But we will more likely hear and see Christ when we are in some way attentive and willing. In those moments when we are yearning, when we are seeking and wrestling to make sense, when we are sorrowing and confused, when the world's certainties have vanished and the world's weight and force upon us uncork our sorrow and fear. Most essentially, in all those moments, we will know Christ's presence more likely if and when we've been paying attention. So, fellow wanderers, sojourners, look at me, look, and listen. I do not have much to offer you, but what I do have, I now give you. Jesus Christ, the lover of humankind, is risen from the dead. He has gone before you. Do not wait. Do not let your eyes grow dull. Go out to meet him. 